Hello and welcome to the Dead Funny, Dead Serious podcast. My name is Mitzi. I'm the host. 30 end-of-life doulas in 30 days. Our end-of-life doula today is Natalie Bonafi. And hello. Hello, Mitzi. Thanks for being here and taking time out today. We're excited to have you. Natalie is coming to us from New Haven, Connecticut. Let's just roll right in to your why. Why did you become an end-of-life doula? Hmm. I thought about it and a very short uh, response in just a few words would be that uh, I actually needed to find my purpose. And I pose. Um, But other than that, uh, a little bit of a longer story, (laughs) so uh, you understand what I meant, is that, uh, so I'm 53 years old, to give you an idea, and um, by my late 40s, uh, I had already spent about 25 years of a career in biomedical research. So 20 years in the US, five years in France, Uh, that's where I got my PhD in biology and health. So um, I come from science, I come from biology, and in biology, we talk about life and death. So uh, when I I moved to the US, I was in my late uh, 20s, mid to late uh, uh, 20s, and I worked at NIH, I worked at Yale, I worked in the biotech industry, uh, designing things that we talk about now, like vaccines or cancer uh, therapies. And, and I really loved uh, solving um, very complex problems in the uh, in, um, interdisciplinary um, teams, interdisciplinary teams, and using a variety of approaches. And uh, so by the age of 46, I reached the glass ceiling. And uh, I really didn't know what I wanted, but I knew that I could not grow in the place where I was, and I uh, could not grow in the way that was um, that could make me happy and fulfilled. So I started looking at what I was missing, uh, the design thinking approach, and uh, what I realized I was missing where I was is one, a sense of belonging to a community, and the second one is I could not be kind. I could not be kind in the lab, in in the biotech industry. It's just not very easy. It's not very easy. And and I realized why. It's because I had been an empath all this time. And I really felt uh, like I needed that connection, but I didn't know I was an empath. Uh, I often felt like uh, I had this imposter syndrome where you know everybody was very straight and uh, and there was very little room for empathy and co- real powerful collaboration. So that's what I was missing. But I cared about life, and death is part of life. So after a couple of you know difficult times, by the age of you know forty six, starting to have some life experience and losses and uh, grief building. Uh, I came across in 2000, at the end of 2015, I came across uh, a training actually somewhere in Connecticut of uh, level one end of life doula training, the free community uh, training by Suzanne O'Brien. Suzanne was in New York and she's part of doula givers and she was my first uh, connection to the field. And I got hooked. I was like, 
this is it. I, I mean, I don't know if I got hooked, but when I first heard of the end of life doula concept and movement, I knew that this was for me because it employed and the analytical skills and the compassionate, you know, empathetic skills that I knew I had, but I had not really tackled. So that's when I got trained and, but before I could serve others, which is a, a different concept, I knew I wanted to serve others and to be part of that community. But before I could serve others, I had to work on myself, uh, on my own fears, my own um, resistance, my fear of death and my grief. And the training uh, took a fair amount of time because I had to do the work. I had to do the work and I had to learn to believe in myself and my own capacity before I could really serve others. So that's what happened. Interesting. Before you said that on paper, it would be, oh, that's a big jump from a science field to end of life doula. But when you explain it, it makes complete sense that this is life and death. Being an empath in the science field would be difficult to make meaningful connections. I was looking for meaning. I, I wanted to be able to have a life that I was happy with, you know, to have a legacy. Where am I going? Who am I? You know, very French thing. <laughs> <laughs> Philosophical. Um, so it took me, uh, so I took the training in 2016. And um, I took other trainings afterwards because I don't particularly believe that we become doula overnight. That's my opinion. Uh, I think we really have to dig into who we are and what we want to do, acquire the knowledge and really, you know, truly do the work ourselves as I explained it. So it took about uh, three, four months to get through the end of life doula training. But with Suzanne, I took also the elder care doula because I wanted to be able to get to know people a lot earlier, the very deathbed. Uh, I have elderly parents, I've taken care of my grandmother. I mean, I know the importance of really nurturing there. So, and I also did uh, the training to become a care consultant where we can do end of life planning discussions, uh, facilitations, you know, from early on. And, and currently I serve people from, you know, millennials to baby boomers in terms of education. And then some of my patients are older than that, my parents' age. So it's really intergenerational. Um, so I do end of life planning, caregiver coaching, and I really specialize in women. So I found my niche because I'm a proud woman in menopause, <laughs> perimenopause. I made the I made the link, you know, about a couple of years ago. I made the link between the work that we have to do to overcome our fear of fears of death and the, the transition that also happens at the midlife for women. And I get, got there because most of my clients were women. I also uh, I have also been a hospice volunteer for five years now, except for last year. You know, didn't do any work, but I've resumed. So that was really instrumental to my education because we really don't stop learning, in my opinion, because we learn with every family, every person we coach or we, um, we, we, we witness. 
And so the learning really doesn't stop. That's why I said we don't become doulas overnight. It's the knowledge plus the, the experience comes. Can you say a little bit more about, I believe I've seen such great things from you on social media about, is it menopause doula or is it menopause coach? Or both? <laughs> I think I think it's a little bit of both. And and I got I got there for various reasons. It's because of the importance of menopause in women's life and the way we age, the way we um the way we age and the way we die. I mean, if we do the right things, um, or if we miss some things, we may be able to have the consequences later with some chronic diseases. And we have that possibility to get educated at midlife at a time where already our brains are changing because of the change in hormones. Alzheimer's uh, is also very, very, well, two out of three people are women with Alzheimer's at the end of life. So, and it has been linked to some of the um, hormonal changes at midlife. So I wanted to be able to empower uh, my clients a lot earlier. Turns out the caregivers that I often coach, you know, for the end of life of their loved ones are often women and are often women between perimenopause and postmenopause and they need support. So I think I've, I've become a, a naturally, a natural menopause doula on the top of being an end-of-life uh, doula uh, because I see the need uh, for the caregivers and it's a form of coaching but doulaing is also coaching so yeah I can be a menopause doula. I think it's fascinating and it just makes a ton of sense mostly caregivers of older adults or the dying are women. And uh, I mean one of my current clients is um somebody uh, in her 40s, very young, uh, actually very early 40s, and she just lost her mother like a year ago, and I was her end-of-life doula, virtual one, and um, and now she's, um, she's looking at, you know, really doing her end-of-life planning and, and organizing her life and making sure that she leaves a legacy for her children, and uh, I mean, it's totally connected. But it's so that's why I think it's more a form of coaching. It works. I think it's we all need coaching. Uh, and the transition you, you were asking me, well, you will ask me at some point what are the, the challenges. And I think the, some we can integrate it there is that the challenges were really for me one um, for me. So that's why I serve the people uh, in my. Um, case and the same similar situations is one finding our own voice so i i had a hard time finding my own voice because uh, of where i come from and really shifting the mindset between uh, wanting to understand everything or to control everything from the scientist mind scientific uh, reasoning to the businesswoman i mean you don't start a business overnight especially when you know you've been employed <laughs> before it's uh, it takes really a shifting of mindset and and how i organize my time and how i value my time and that's what i transmit to my clients too whether it's at midlife or whether it's at the end of life it's like how do you want to live the rest of your life 
Excellent. We moved right into the challenges, and that is a challenge, being a business working with a challenging and difficult topic, which is end of life. It's been a big part of this series. It's a big part of my work because it's it's not easy to bring up this topic. It's not easy to understand everyone's place, and end-of-life doulas are rather new, and we're educating the, the public on what that looks like and other businesses in the inner disciplinary fields about what end of life doulas do. What other challenges have you found? So being an entrepreneur would be to really, the biggest challenge is to value my time, to value my time. And because historically we know that women have been the, the normal caregivers, you know, for during childhood when women have children, which I don't have, it doesn't know that, doesn't mean I don't know how it works. So natural caregivers for the children, natural caregivers for the parents, uh, the siblings down. And uh, that's where we, we think, I think that we need support to learn to do that, to value our time and not to give without receiving. And that's a natural process for starting a business, which I did not learn uh, in graduate school. And so that was a challenge, but I also, out of the challenge, I also saw the, the, the amazing opportunity to really work on my neuroflexibility, neuroplasticity, which is so important for preventing, you know, <laughs> brain diseases, uh, cognitive diseases uh, down the road. And, and I was able to really also help my sister who's older and my mom, uh, my niece, in, in doing that. So it's very subtle. That was the main, uh, that was the main, the time management I really had to learn. Uh, and also society does not value caregivers time. I mean, caregivers, um, whether they are mothers, are fathers as well, I'm generalizing with women, but um, you know, parents and, and, and children later on in life, just, just like not valued. CNAs in nursing homes are not terribly valued, and yet they are the ones who are the closest to the to the patients and the families who touch and and provide very this supportive companionship presence, you know, supportive presence, companionship, and and we really get to to touch people emotionally and physically too, which we all need. Uh, the second thing was to overcome my, um, and it's related, my imposter syndrome. So who am I to tell anybody how to die? How to die well? Who am I? I mean, do I have the right? And that's why I've also learned not to, uh, that's why I don't teach people. I don't teach, I don't give classes because of who I am. Uh, I prefer to coach and doula people in that really supportive, tight, um, haptonomic approach. And, and that's been challenging because from where I come, you know, we tell people what to do, <laughs> where I come from. Yeah, so it, it's that challenge, um, but I think I'm getting there. The two pieces that I really want to highlight, caregivers are not valued. I worked in assisted living for years while I was getting a master's degree in family therapy. Uh, with older adults as a focus. And I was watching as the caregivers are such an integral part of the existence of, of everyone, every resident. 
and they were not valued. They were overworked, underpaid, and undervalued. And it was, they're part of the system when it comes to everything that we're doing. And I just love them so much and, and value them so much. And if we can put that on the table so people can hear that and remember that and start working to advocate for them, yes. Yes. And, and interestingly, uh, it's starting to develop because of my link between, you know, caregiving women and menopause, knowing also how the nursing homes and, you know, um, assisted living facilities function, there is a lot of turnover because women caregivers, employees are very burned out. And, and I'm not even touching about the, the nurses and the physicians, that's another discussion, uh, but I think they are. So I'm developing this program for um, uh, menopause at the workplace to really help these people. It's, it, it's coming. All right, I, I'm, I'll be waiting. And then the other piece that I want to go back to, the imposter syndrome, thank you for sharing that. I do know a lot of people that have taken the training and then they don't feel confident enough to call themselves an end-of-life doula or to do the work. And I think imposter syndrome is a big piece of that. I think not having adequate or access to trainings or the correct trainings to make them feel confident is part of it. But doing the work, the, in, the internal work, thank you for sharing that. And I actually end up, um, well, I end up, I, during my own training, I coached younger doulas, um, and it was part of Suzanne's training uh, approach. I also took uh, other trainings with, um, with Deanna Cochran, uh, Quality of Life Care. So I also have, you know, connections with other training programs, and, and a lot of, of it is supporting one another. Like when we are on a case, having that community, being able to support one another is, is very important. So actually people come to me and say, hey, I want to be a doula. And I provide them for, with that little coaching, you know, right at the beginning where I really listen to them and I, I, and I help them, you know, choose the right program for them based on their finances. And um, it, it's a very little part of my business, but I still have some time to do that. Plus it's fun to see people grow and find themselves. And, and I think it's of value because what if it's just the imposter syndrome? What if just, you know, the, oh, women are not capable of doing that. So if I can contribute, you know, pushing and lifting other women, uh, I do it. It's very, just a little push whenever they want. And, and, and I think that's what, I think that's what I needed at the time. And I have taken all sorts of coaching in between throughout, you know, these years of development. And I would not have been able to do it without the support of others. So we need, we need each other. So hopefully people that are needing that extra push to even know that imposter syndrome is normal in this work, that questioning that coming from one field and moving into the other still hard still difficult and still possible it's hard and it's possible Horrible. yes it's a mind shift i mean you know that in your own work uh, but if we don't apply it we can't be fully of service of others and and value our work and and we cannot be in the community unless we overcome that. Um, we cannot serve our own parents and families unless we overcome that. You know, am I of value? Do they want my help? Do they not want? 
Yeah. So we're rolling into the final question. My favorite question, I think. Now I like all the questions. I'm lying. What are your hopes for the field of end of life doulas and or your your business as well? So, you know, if you had asked me the question uh, two, three years ago, I may have been a little bit dry. I would not have had a very good answer. But I think my hopes are really developing and just I can I have seen a huge difference between you know in 2016 when I was telling in my community that I'm training to be an end-of-life doula and I talk about death where people you know like a lot of people a lot more people know what doulas are especially in Connecticut you know we have also the the birth doulas that are very active in getting uh, to be reimbursed by insurances uh, I think this is wonderful, especially in a, in a very diverse state where every woman has the right to uh, give birth in the best, best conditions. I do believe what I've learned, you know, early on with Suzanne or, or later on uh, with Diana, that we all have the right to live and to die well, according to our own values. It's really a human right, very much like birthing, right? Um, so I think I have seen not just the field develop, but I have seen, you know, nursing homes, attorneys, financial advisors, psychologists uh, in business, you know, kind of like now know what an end-of-life doula are. They may not know, but they have heard of it because there is so much going on. It could be confusing with what's going on to a lot of people. We do not have a license you know, state license or government uh, license. And it could be it could be difficult. And because of the lack of license, we are not going to get the recognition that we deserve very quickly. On the other hand, we have a lot, without a license, we have a lot more power to act um, where, wherever there is a need without being associated with a big institution or an insurance company or the healthcare system. So it really has its benefits. Uh, in terms of accessibility, yes, it's out of pocket. I still believe that it can be planned for and um, it should be able to, we should be able to help pretty much anybody who wants it. You know, we can easily adjust the prices, we can, you know, work with families, <laughs> people who bother, bother with me. There are always, there are always ways to, to do it. Because we are not licensed, yes, other people can do the same work that we do. Uh, we just have to believe in ourselves. I think there is hope. But it's going to take some time still. I think we've come a long way already in the past four years. It will take a little bit more work. And again, I don't think we become end-of-life doulas overnight. Agreed. We have a lot of room to grow and a lot of space to have this conversation and, and welcome people into it. And it sounds like you're doing great work. And also the menopause piece is another piece of it, of starting that conversation. It is, a, it is an earlier piece. And I actually run both death cafes and menopause cafes that are coming from the UK. And I'm, so far, I'm the only one in the U.S. to do it. And it's been 
yeah <laughs> i've I, I love the people from scotland that would be another conversation Mitzi. yes um, i've never heard that before i run a death cafe and i've never heard menopause cafe so you just got a gold star for introducing well thank you but Mitzi, you brought up something that was very uh, crucial in my including the menopause work because I'm also a scientist I can look at the holistic aspect and I can read the data and I work with physicians and you know I've trained physicians so I uh, worked in the OBGYN at Yale department at Yale so uh, for me I have a lot more to add than just the doula part I have the scientific as access and I'm part of the national I'm part of the North American menopause society now as a scientist and coach. But one thing you mentioned that is really, did, did you know that women, that death anxiety is more prominent in women at midlife? It comes back more prominently in women. It is, wow. it, it is not a lot of people know that, but the, the anxiety around death really comes back as we are changed by the the hormones fluctuating in our body. It was at as teenagers and now um, as in midlife, at midlife. Again, I'm not talking about men, but I'm sure it happens uh, to a certain degree, but women are more susceptible to it. Oh, that is good. <laughs> that is good. And it even makes it more sense that, that working with menopause, that it's important to have that conversation and start planting those seeds if that anxiety is bubbling up to address it right there. And if we can, you know, facilitate at that level, we really minimize the traumas down the road for everybody. Um, not that, I mean, there will always be traumas, but there, I mean, and, and so you're not going to be out of work, but uh, uh, there is so much trauma that if we could minimize just a little bit, you know, in, in certain places, um, we could really help, you know, overcome some of the, tensions we have in the world. Beautiful. I, that is the reason I do the work because I just, I'm like, if I can get one, one person to have a little bit more education so they don't have that one trauma, it's still going to be traumatic. But it's for the next generations. You can see that you, we know where trauma is coming from. It starts, you know, it's intergenerational. Let's help a little bit ease all of this for everybody. That's my point. Yes. Thank you so much. Oh, that was so good. All right, Natalie, thank you so much for being here. Your Thanks. business is A Gentler Parting, and right. all your information is going to be in the show notes. Uh, you are on Instagram, so follow Natalie on Instagram because then you'll get all the information on when the menopause webinars are coming up. It's easy to find me. It's nataliebonafe.com. And I appreciate everything that you brought to this. Thank you. And I really appreciate your facility dating uh, the conversations between all of us. Um, and I look forward to um, continuing, you know, um, growing together and yes. supporting one another. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks to all the listeners of this podcast. It would mean the world to us if you subscribed or liked or left a comment. Please do one of those things. And then once you're done with that, hop on over, like us on Instagram or TikTok or both. That is all. And we will see you in the next one.